Well, Father, thank you for this time to be reminded of your power and grace as we turn to you, that you're just watching and waiting and longing for us to turn our hearts to you. I want to ask God that you would stir up in us, each one, a realization that we genuinely, wholeheartedly, and continually need you, and that then we would just posture ourselves as we come before you and wait on you and trust you in the wait, that we will take every step you call us to take, that your word leads us to walk into and to believe that you, Holy Spirit, guide us into, that we'll do this in a way that would bring you glory, regardless of circumstances, and that would be for the good of those around us, God. We do want to pray that you would continue to open our hearts to the truth and the realization of who you are and how we fit in your story and your desire for us to fulfill your purpose, that you have meaning for every life, everyone who's here that is really beautiful in your design as we walk in yielded submission to you and surrender. So help us to see that we depend on you, that we need you, and help us to even want you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so, Ellie, thank you for sharing that beautiful, transparent testimony. I believe that as we walk together and are able to open our hearts to one another like that, that we're going to grow closer and closer. People are longing. Every one of us are longing for people to be real on their journey with Jesus and not to pretend, not to put up fronts. And as we do try to protect ourselves or put up walls, that we're willing to allow those things to come down in community and, and be able to discuss them. I, I was very encouraged by that. And Keith, just love you and Kendall so much. And, you know, I think that you all who know Keith, even if you haven't been around him very long, um, but even those of us who have walked with him, even before he met the treasure that Kendall is and they married, um, he is a faithful man. And from the get-go, his heart has been to walk in relationship, deep relationship with the Lord, to learn from him, to apply what he learns faithfully and consistently. And he's one of my heroes um, for multiple reasons, but I see the faithfulness of the Lord in your life continually. And he's walked through a lot of those hard places with us, both personally and in the church. And uh, it's been such a joy to walk with you and you, Kendall. And um, I'm really proud of you guys and really thankful for the body here that you all are continuing. Because, you know, Keith doesn't make it about him. It's, he makes it about Jesus. It is about Jesus. And, I mean, he, he realizes that. And your part is essential. What you're bringing is so crucial to what God wants to do through this local assembly. Driving here today, you can see the beautiful opportunities. Do you see this community just like burgeoning with, with potential for people to follow Jesus? It is amazing. 
the opportunities that you have together to reach those around this, uh, this facility and however God leads you. But I'm excited for that. And today, because of the world that we're in and the pressure and the squeeze that we're in, it's important for us to have a reflexive response in all circumstances. And I want to encourage us. Oftentimes, I've heard myself and others say, you know, well, all we can do now is pray. Well, I mean, let's just pray. Instead of that being the the kind of the caboose, if we saw that this really could be and perhaps should be the engine driving the train, this generator of connection and communion with God, it is an opportunity, yes, in the squeeze, yes, in the hard times, that we will naturally cry out. After different tragedies, we see the churches getting more people or those of us that are, um, when we're in a struggle, will oftentimes default to prayer. But what about just the powerful opportunity that he's given us to come close to him? The empowering of the spirit to have communion with him when things are really going great. So whether things are going great or things are hard, he's calling us into this journey in this place with him. So as we look at this passage today, I want us to think about a couple of things. I'm more practical and an application guy. I, I look at a text like this and it's beautiful in the ways that God wants to encourage us. First Corinthians 10 tells us that the Old Testament is written for our encouragement as an example for us. And those, typically in that particular passage, he's talking about some of the negative things that happened that we would learn from the hard things that people went through. In this particular instance, we're getting to learn from something really powerful that took place, that God rescued a people that turned to him in prayer, that prayed first. So the big idea is that, and this, by the way, as I was uh, walking through the process of developing this message, God, what do you have from this text for us that we can walk out? Uh, Wayne Grudem in in his systematic theology talks about prayer has a lot of great information. If you're ever interested in, and maybe even frustrated with the idea of prayer, it's a great place, a great resource. But this idea comes from him that prayer expresses our faith or trust in God. In other words, when you begin to pray, you're humbly saying, I don't have what it takes. I need you, God. So we're, we're turning to him because we know, or we're acknowledging we need him. And it also grows our dependence on God. So the more you pray and see God respond, even if it's corrective or directive or encouraging or those things that come up, I don't know about you, but through this COVID season, I mean, it's over for the most part, but through the season that was so hard and, and was like a crucible, one of the things I found was that Some of my trust structures, the things that I actually had my confidence in or my hope in or my trust in were upended. And so when your trust structures are revealed to not be in the rock in Jesus alone, that's really a beautiful gift from God when we are aware because the idea of control and most of us want to be in control. Is there anybody else besides me that like, likes that? Okay. Yeah. A few of you. Um, we, we like to be in control. 
And really when our trust structures are revealed and things begin to shake, what's real is exposed. That control is an illusion. It, it shatters the illusion of control. Like we don't have control. Anybody aware of that? Everybody aware? We do not have control. And so in this process, God's calling us to, to look beyond, to see beyond, to believe beyond what our circumstances are saying to us right now. And this is the call that Jehoshaphat walked into this place. God had given them a land. So think about this. They're in the place that God had called them to be. He is just, he's a reformer. He had just brought about uh, a court system, a judicial system. He had just brought about some order in their, in their world. He had brought the kingdom, so to speak, to the kingdom of God, to his kingdom. And he was leading well. He had a good army. There were times where they didn't have a strong army, but he had people. He had a good group backing him. But he hears a message that there is an enemy coming. Multiple nations are coming against you. And by the way, they're like 12 miles down the road. They're not only in your territory, but they're coming to take you out of what God has given you. And this is the situation, if you can imagine, so he's got generals and captains, he's got all kinds of resource right there that he could have called together a powwow and had a a strat op meeting. He could have gone to the natural realm and provided some semblance of hope for people because imagine you're the leader, people are looking to you to lead, and you're like, of course, I've got to get, I got to get my act together, man. The enemy's right here. Why didn't we know that? How did he get, how did they get so close? What's up? And we get to see a reflective response that I believe God wants to become ours, that we might learn from what he did. So instead of having a strat session, he calls together or gathers together the nation, all of them from the babies to the oldest people. And they seek God in fasting and prayer. If you were in a situation where there's pressure that's unexpected, pressure that you didn't have time to get ready for, something difficult that nobody warned you about, but all of a sudden it's at your doorstep and fear comes knocking, what's your visceral response? What's your natural response? God, I believe, has a word for us from this today, that not only does prayer express and grow our faith in God as we seek trust and step, but that in the context of living for God, living for his will, living for his kingdom, we're going to face adversity. I didn't hear any like amens or hallelujah, wow, that's awesome, right? Because if we... We're telling the truth. Most of us absolutely avoid anything that's difficult. And we really have a default leaning towards that which is comfortable and that which is easy. The odd thing is Jesus says that there are two paths and only two paths. And he said one of them leads to life. And he's speaking of eternal life. Psalm 16, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Life. This is the path to life. 
And he says, this other path, the only other path that you can choose, there's not an in-between path. The other path is the path that leads to death or destruction. And this is eternal separation from him. And Jesus is speaking this reality to his followers. And he's saying, I want you to choose this. The gate to this path is really narrow. And really few people actually find it. The path to destruction, it's a big wide gate and many people not only find it, but go in through it. So there's lots of people on this path, few on this path. So it's lonely. And then he gives us this, and the way is difficult. It's a hard path. It's a lonely path, but it leads to life. And so he's letting us know that in the hard in the difficult, that there is a destination that is far surpassing great, greater than the, even the journey itself. But there is something about the journey and something about the adversity. I know that uh, David, one of the Psalms that David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your commands. There's something about adversity that helps us, brings us to a place of understanding we don't have control and I've got to trust you, God. Even when you don't do what I think you should do, even when you're, or you do do what I think you should do, you're not my genie in the sky. You know, I'm not rubbing my little thing. I'm not like trying to perform and jump through hoops so that you'll do what I want you to do. I'm just here, dependent on you. You're God. I'm here on your errand. You are large and in charge. And I say yes to you, even when I don't like it, even when it's hard, even when it's lonely, even when I don't see a bunch of other people going that way. I'm in. So it takes place, this life with God takes place in the context of spiritual adversity, spiritual warfare, but don't let your focus get moved off God. I love what Brian said in his prayer there at the end of worship, literally was this message. Don't, oh Lord, in the midst of distractions, don't let us get our focus off of you. And I cannot tell you, but this has to be the biggest, the, the, the most uh, distracted season of my entire journey with Jesus. I'm 58. uh, Yeah, yeah, 58. (laughs) I get my birthday mixed up. Time and me, we are friends, but distant friends. Uh, I don't, I don't keep track of all that, but, um, but I believe that thinking as honestly as I can through my life and my time with Jesus, walking with him, this is the most distracted season of my life. And so I know that, and I'm, I'm pretty fastidious. I'm pretty diligent. I'm pretty determined to not be distracted. So I'm feel really sorry for people that, that don't have any like, you know, moorings or desire to not be distracted because you must be just like, you know, down the rapids because everything's vying for our attention. And you know, they're really smart people that have made this phone that they call the smartphone because it is, and it's designed with brain science in mind to get you to look at it 1,700 times a day and to be the one who lets this center or become the center of your life. And it's so easy to have something that can be innocent, can be actually be used for God, can be innocuous, not, not in and of itself something evil, but can become something that takes place of my devotion, my quiet time, my, um, even good, like my distractions are like devotions. My distractions are, um, questions that I have about 
you know, theology or, uh, my, my distractions are, I go down rabbit holes all the time and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, and like, I'm not even really connecting with the father and, uh, through silence and solitude through a, a season it has been one of the, the most powerful things that I've had. And I am so off this text right now. So we're going to jump right back in. Um, so we're going to seek God. Hopefully develop this uh, pray first reflex. We're going to learn to trust him. And that means in the wait, learning what it looks like to trust him and step out in faith. Because the enemy comes to encroach on what God's already given you. He's already given you some, some territory, if you will. But the enemy's coming to try to take that from you. That's what he does. And God's going to teach you how to stand. Sometimes he teaches us by fighting. Sometimes he teaches us by standing and watching him fight. And this is one of those instances here. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. I love this because right here in scripture, it's our normal reflex. We fear. Something's happening that feels threatening, overwhelming, hard, and our visceral response is fear. It says he feared or was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. So instead of allowing that to come between him and God and distract him and get his focus off of God, he allowed that pressure to push him into God to set his face to seek God. So I think this is the first thing for us to realize. I read a Harvard Business Review article not too long ago and was an article saying that we are actually, uh, avert, we have an aversion to anything that threatens us. And we all say to that, well, of course we do, right? So Ellie mentioned it earlier in her testimony, the fight or flight, the limbic system of your brain that teaches you to freeze, fight, or flee. So that's our, those are natural visceral response that's human, and we all understand that. What we may not understand is what that article says that when we have this response or this threat, we actually end up losing motivation and purpose. We, we tend to not realize that it's not just a fight or flight, but there is something in us that if we allow that to take over this response of threat and fear and we we sit up under it instead of resisting it or allowing it to push us into focus on God who's big, bigger than our problem, then we can lose actually motivation and purpose. And uh, I'll read that here in a second. But verse 3, he was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. 4, Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. You see the, the message here over and over. They weren't just coming to connect. They weren't just coming to cry together. They weren't just coming to console one another. They were coming with a purpose to seek God together. And though we don't get to choose when things come our way, the conflict or the hard, we do get to choose our response. And we say in our house, our response is our responsibility. Whether it's in a relational dynamic or with, with one another, or it's a relational dynamic with the Lord or circumstances. My response is my responsibility. I heard it said earlier today, like in and of myself, 
I'll, I'll fall on my face. But if I'm depending on God who strengthens me, if I will see that I can rejoice in my weakness because that's the place that God's strength is made perfect. If I can understand that through abiding in Jesus, there is a strength that comes through crying out to him. He says rivers of living water will flow from my innermost being through being filled with his spirit. I can stand in the day that's hard when I feel helpless without him. So that's the first point. Seek God in prayer. Let's grow this reflex to pray first. Spurgeon said, plunge your hand into God's promises and grasp with determination his faithfulness. So there's so many promises that we can like almost like flip your Bible open and see that there are legitimate promises that God gives to us. And Spurgeon's like, just just plunge your hand into that resource of God's promises and and hold on with determination that which shows his faithfulness. This is one of those passages that shows his faithfulness. Psalm 105, verse 4. This is one of Augustine's favorite psalms and verses from Psalm 105. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. Not just his hand, not just his strength, but see his face. Get to know him. He is marvelous. Well, we see that Jehoshaphat did that. As he's going through the prayer, he's going through their history. He's letting the people that are standing there know, I know God. God, you are faithful. You are the God of the nations. There is nothing impossible with you. And by the way, you know these guys. Like, these guys, this is the land you've given us, and they're coming. And so we're looking to you. To be our defense. We're looking to you. What do you want us to do? Because this horde, this group, this vast army that feels completely overwhelming is coming against us. And we don't even know what to do. We don't know how to respond to this. So we're looking to you. Our eyes are fixed on you. Our eyes are on you. I love it that in that moment, the spirit of God comes on a musician, not specifically a prophet, Though he prophesies. It's a musician. And this guy's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So God wanted to point him out. He has his name there in scripture for all of posterity. But we don't know anything else about him. Except that the spirit of the Lord came on him while they're waiting. We don't know whether this happened in minutes. Or whether there was a stretch. Because remember this. Sometimes when you set your face to seek the Lord. His response is immediate, but there is quite a delay because remember, we're in a spiritual battle. Daniel, when he prayed, the angel of the Lord said, from the moment you set your face to seek the Lord, I was sent. The father sent me. And 21 days later, he shows up and he says, it was the prince of Persia. There was a big battle going on, but I'm here right on time. So just understand that sometimes the timing of God is not our timing. He is not breaking through. We're like, we're praying for the breakthrough. And it's like five years down the road or 10 years down the road. And where's the breakthrough? And we're looking and longing for him because it's really not about our agenda. It's not about our comfort in the battle. We're going to trust you, but we're going to continue to look to you. We're not going to let anything, not the enemy or anything else, distract us from our focus being on you and trusting you. So in the wait... 
this guy, however old a gentleman he is, he is spontaneously prophesying. Don't be afraid or discouraged at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. And then he says, tomorrow you're going to go against them. Now think about this. We're all assembled and what's your name? Keely? Keely stands up and, and begins to say, hey, we know that the, you know, the invasion is here, but God says, don't be afraid. Um, he, he says the battle's his. Like, you don't have to worry about it. Everybody just automatically goes, oh, no, like we're like, uh, but something was so significant in this community as they were waiting on God. They knew there was this witness that this is the spirit of God speaking through this individual. And they began, we're going to see, to praise him. So cool. So he's saying, here's, here's the word of the Lord. This, remember, this is the word of the Lord coming through. It's not, they couldn't go to the scroll. This is, this is God's word coming through a person prophetically for a moment. He could have done it any other way. He could have had an angel show up. He could have had one of the key prophetic voices of their day say, saying it, but he chose a musician for whatever reason. He didn't tell us why. And this person speaks the word of the Lord, and they hear it. Don't be afraid. This vast number, he's saying, it's a, bit, it's a big group. You're right. It's out of your, completely overwhelming, 100%. Um, but the battle's not yours. So next, and tomorrow, you're going to go out to the place of the battle, where they are. Where they're coming, you're going. And you're going to stand and see God's victory. What is amazing about this is it was tomorrow. It wasn't that night. It wasn't go right now. It wasn't stay and pray and watch me do this. It isn't like, hey, come around Jehoshaphat and hold up his arms so that the enemy. This was a specific instruction. Sleep tight. Go enjoy your night rest. They're right there. They're 12 miles away. Three nations coming against you. They're Wanting to kill you and displace you, but sleep tight. Can you imagine? And the next day, they get up and go because they have a part to play. As minor as it is, they have a part to play. They're, they're not just waiting on God to do something. God's calling them into that place to step out in faith, in obedience to his word, to take action. He's called them into it. And then he says, position yourself, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What I love about this is, is really the gospel. And this is where we, you know, we're, we all have this default towards trying to earn salvation, trying to earn it for ourselves to do something, to earn God's approval. When he's saying, I love you. I died so that you could be approved. I gave my life so that you could be forgiven and adopted and cleansed and forgiven and given new life, I did that for you. You could not do anything that would do that. And so Jesus is saying, I've done that for you. Stand still in this place and see the salvation of God. I really believe this is definitely pointing us to the gospel. But he's saying he's with you. He's telling them, Judah, Jerusalem, he's with you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. He had to tell him twice this idea of don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. 
So we need to trust God in this place. And then as our response, God's plan to deliver from the hand of the enemy, I believe, comes through dependence. And there are several verses. This is something we're seeing here in this text, but I believe there are several New Testament verses that confirm this. In Ephesians 6.16, we're told to take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. In our armor that God's given us, there is a taking up of a shield of faith. Faith, trust. See this, trust in God, trust in him. Deliverance comes through dependence, taking up your shield of faith. Luke 22, 31. Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your what won't fail, that your faith won't fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. Jesus said, when I come back, will I find joy on the earth? No, will I find faith on the earth? Like there's something about faith. There's something about trust. There's something about you and I trusting God that brings him glory and actually is showing the order of creation. He's the creator. We're the creation. And it's showing the order of confident trust in who you are and your character. And I love that Jehoshaphat goes through the history. He knows their place in it. And he's saying, this is who you are. This is who you've been. You are faithful. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And so their response here is that they bowed low and then it says they stood loud. So some of you in worship may be those that are like, you know, more exuberant and some of you may be more like hesitant and like, you know, like even just to lift your hands like this is like a little bit of a risk. And what God's looking at, because you can have your hands up here and your heart far from him. You can have your hands down here and your heart far from him. You can be thinking more about what people are thinking about you than you're thinking about your connection with God in the moment. And he's just wanting our hearts. He just wants our hearts to be there where we're learning to trust him. We're learning even to worship him. We're learning to put him first and have this reflexive prayer that comes out of our being. But I believe this posture of bowing low and standing loud, um, heaven's going to be loud. I mean, clashing cymbals, uh, shouting is going to be loud. And even for us that prefer, I love silence and solitude. I have really come to be such an advocate and fan of, of silence. I didn't even realize how much I need it. But, um, and it's so powerful to, to posture myself in that way. But it's also, I really have grown to love the loud. I've grown to love it. And I believe God wants us to have this response of trust. Verses 18 and 19, it says, when he knelt low, he bowed with his face to the ground. All of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship God. No words. They just recognized God and they bowed in worship. And then they stood up to praise the Lord with voices loud and high. What would you do if God spoke prophetically and then people started jumping down on their face in worship? Would that be uncomfortable? I mean, I think it would be for me. I mean, just straight up. But there was a presence there that caused them to, to go down. 
I remember before my wife and I got married almost 31 years ago, we were at a youth event and we both worked with youth and there were all these churches came together and there was this huge outdoor tabernacle and there was a time of worship and there was a song called run through the camp and tell everybody get ready. That was the song. And what was fun about that song was all the kids loved that song because they took off out of their chairs and they're running through the tabernacle around the tabernacle, telling everybody, get ready, and just having so much fun because they got to, you know, get out of their chairs. And um, at the end of that time, running around a few times, we all came back, and chairs are kind of messed up, and um, they're this event that I can tell you I've not had very many like this. But somehow, whatever was going on, must have really delighted the heart of God. And there was a, a descending presence of God. I hear people go, oh, God's presence is here. And I'm like, okay. I mean, not that that's not true. I believe he comes when it's, when, but I'm telling you, I don't think there was anybody standing, adult to kid in that tabernacle. And I'm a little bit of a neat freak. And there were like spilled colas and bugs and dirty concrete tabernacle floor. And I didn't think once about that until after I got up from that ground. I got on my face. I thought, Jesus is coming now. I, I was, it was one of those moments. And I look and I think, I bet that's kind of what's happening here. Is that God in his mercy has a moment in time where he wants to show his strength and his power. And I would love to have that experience, by the way, you know, to say, and that was just one of many. And since then, da, da, da. Nope. I mean, I'm just telling you. He is amazing, though, and meets us where we need him. And he'll meet us in the private, and he'll meet us in the corporate, and he'll meet us so that he's showing us he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is the one worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise, and we want to humble ourselves before him. Romans 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. See, Paul got to a place where he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Has anybody ever been there? Crushed, overwhelmed, beyond our ability to endure. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, who's written many prayers that are powerful, that we can pray along with, that are amazing. This is the Apostle Paul that that had been taken to the third heaven, saw things so glorious that he had to have a messenger from Satan buffeting him so he didn't become proud. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul who's saying, there was a time that we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. But as a result, we saw that we can't rely on ourselves, but on him, God, who raises the dead. Like my heart for this, I can't tell you, there have been multiple times where I've walked through the same experience. Um, and seeing that through the squeeze, the process of God helps me learn to rely on him more and more. So he says, believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. That word for established there is aman, and it's like where we get the word amen. So, so be it, Lord. And he says, believe in the Lord and believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And so after... Jehoshaphat's wise guy, he's like, hey, there's a horde coming. We're all believing this is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. But he took counsel. 
He didn't just step out. He took counsel with the people, and then he appointed people to sing. As far as we know, this isn't directive from God. As far as we are told here, just in the text, this is what they did in response to the word of the Lord. They, he, appointed those who were to sing and to praise the Lord in holy attire. They went before the army, and this is what they were saying continually. That word there means they were just continually saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And this is the chesed of God. This is the the covenant faithfulness of God. They were proclaiming God is faithful. He is faithful. Give thanks to him. So as we step out in God's direction, we see that we still have to show up against the enemy. I don't know about you, but oftentimes, like, I've been the person that wants to run from a fight. I'm not a fighter. I don't want to go, like, like if there's a fight, it's like, ugh, I don't even like being around it. I don't like hearing people get hit. I don't like any of that. I don't like boxing. I don't like any of that. I just think, why would anybody, Keith, do that? And um, did y'all know he was like a little Golden Gloves guy? Did y'all know that back in the day? Yeah, be, before Jesus. But he was he was a pretty scrappy little guy with Jesus. Um, but he's saying, no, I want you to show up. I want you to go and watch what I'm going to do. And we see, and Kendall read it so well, the whole like annihilation where the enemy turns on himself and um, we get to see God's salvation. Here's another passage where Paul lets us know that Covenant faithfulness, please hear this. I'm closing with this. God's covenant faithfulness is not, does not mean that he fixes all of our situations. And that may not be good news to you, but it's the truth. God's covenant faithfulness. So in this case with Jehoshaphat, we see that the enemy was absolutely annihilated and they, it took them three days to collect all of the things that were there from the war, all the spoil, three days. It was a huge massacre, and they didn't have to lift a finger, but they praised God. But that isn't always the case. That isn't always the way it happens. And Paul's saying here, hey, three different times I begged the Lord to take away this thorn in my flesh. Each time, this is what he said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's all you need. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. How many of us like take pleasure? I I really don't think we should stay in the mindset that, you know, I'm just a sinner. I, I really believe we need to get in the mindset that, yes, I am a saint who sins, but I am a person who is a child of God, a son of God, or in your case, son or daughter of God, who desires to walk in the victory that you have promised. And before they actually saw the victory, they were praising God and giving thanks to him for his loving kindness and his faithfulness. And Paul does the same thing. Even when I don't see the victory, even when your answer is, my grace is enough, even when you say, that thing's not gonna turn around, I'm not fixing that deal, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. The beauty of God is that we can trust him 
when he brings victory, miraculously and supernaturally, we can trust him when he calls us to endure the affliction or the onslaught and the battle not going away. We can trust him as we walk along this path that's lonely and difficult, but ends in life. But we have to trust him because he says that's the end game. That's the, that's the final destination is this place of life. So that's why he says, I take pleasure in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So let's be a people who pray first. Let's be a church that's a praying church. So we can experience the life-changing power and presence of God moving in our hearts so that we become those who are on his mission, that we're obedient to what he says, that we're willing to step out when it's hard. The early church was birthed in a prayer meeting. We're told in Acts 1.14, they were had one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer. We know Pentecost was that prayer meeting where the church was birthed. We see that it starts, the church starts with prayer. And we know that Jesus intercedes for us. His church now, John 17, shows an intercessory prayer for his people and those who would believe. We see that the Holy Spirit intercedes when we're weak and we don't know what to pray with groanings too deep for words. So could we be those people? The application is this. We have to ask. So... Jesus says, the Father knows what you need before you even ask. This is an important reality. We're not informing him. We're not saying, hey, God, you know the situation over in the Ukraine, you know, and this family over there that we're praying for. Let me just tell you kind of what's up with them so maybe you can go do something about it. He already knows what's happening. But he still invited us into this powerful place called prayer. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, at one point says, you have not because you ask not. And sometimes you ask with the wrong motive. You're you're wanting it to land on you when really this is about God, his glory, and the good of others. But what he's saying is there are things that we don't have because we don't ask. There are things that God would do, it appears, that don't happen because we don't even ask. We don't like we don't want to bother him. We think he's too busy or whatever. And he's calling us into this place to ask. He already knows what we need before we ask him. And you don't have because you don't ask. So let don't be robbed of what God otherwise would be willing to do. And then Luke 11. I tell you. Ask continually and it will be given to you. This is the ask, seek and knock passage. So asking shows that I acknowledge my need and God's power. Luke 18, Jesus says, they always ought to pray and not lose heart. So persistence to never give up in prayer is crucial. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Philippians 4.6, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the God of peace will guard your heart and your mind. Psalm 31, Lord, I trust you. I say you are my God. My life is in your hands. 
I trust you because my life is in your hands. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close in prayer. Lord, I just want to pray this over us, this Psalm 31, 14 through 16. Would you help us today, God, to trust you? That we would be a people who say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Lord, rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Make your face to shine on us, your children, your servants. Save us in your steadfast love. Lord, we wait on you. We know you're our help. You're our shield. Our hearts are glad when we trust in you, God. Would you grow this dynamic of trust in your holy name? That your steadfast love would be upon us, Lord. All who hope in you. I just want to ask if there's anybody today that just says, you know what, I just am in the struggle, I'm in the fight, and I need somebody to, to join me. I, I really am in that place of need, and I see it, and I, I would love somebody to come around and, and pray with me. If that's you this morning, would you be bold enough to just lift your hand and hold it up? Is there anybody in that place? Awesome. Can we keep it up till, till people are going to come around you? Anybody else? Anybody else that may want to say, you know, I I don't feel like overwhelmed, but I I'm struggling in the surrender, in the dependence part, in the faith or the trust part. And I would love to have a heart that really trusts God, but I'm struggling in that. Is there anybody this morning that would just acknowledge, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in my, in the, in this area of trust or faith in Jesus? Is there anybody like that this morning? Awesome. Can we pray right here? Thank you for that humility to acknowledge that. But we know in our weakness, you are strong. You are strong. Your power is made perfect in that place. And we ask God that you would strengthen those that are weary, those whose hands are kind of hanging down and the knees that feel feeble on the journey. That you would bless with strength your supernatural strength, those that are struggling. And Lord, that as a church body, as a church family, that you would stir our hearts to believe you, to press in, to pray, to grow in this communion and connection with you of prayer.